Welcome. This is the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast with host Rob Giannino, where we have great conversation with really awesome experts from within the fly fishing community. You see, the fly fishing lifestyle is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us. Check out flyfishingjourneys.com for more podcasts, and please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Here's your host, Rob Giannino. All right, guys, welcome to the next edition of the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Tiki Farimsky on the podcast. He's an incredible young man, nine years old, an accomplished fly fisherman and a skier. He's a great young man. You will see him around the fly fishing shows sometimes, as his dad, Ben Farimsky, is the director of the shows. You'll enjoy the podcast, and before you dismiss it as just a young man on the podcast, I'd highly encourage you to check out this podcast because if you'd all have kids, this would be a great podcast for your son or daughter to listen to, and it's just a really fun conversation we have about Tiki and his passion for fly fishing. Before we jump into the podcast, I want to offer a warm welcome to our newest flagship sponsor, Cross Current Insurance. If you're around the fly fishing community, you know what a fantastic impact this company and group of individuals is having in our industry. In addition to their great products and services, they have fully committed to giving back and supporting the many great organizations and initiatives within the fly fishing community. Roland Schuster, Augusto Russell, and the entire team at Cross Current have committed to being available and fully participating in this great community. Just a couple weeks ago, they spearheaded and co-sponsored an industry gathering at the Fly Fishing Show in New Jersey, where thousands of dollars were raised for two great organizations, the Friends of Lefty Cray and the American Museum of Fly Fishing. Please reach out to them if you're a guide, an outfitter, or company in the outdoor industry to find out about their great and very unique insurance programs they can offer you. Once again, welcome to the Fly Fishing Journeys family, and thank you for your support. I'm fortunate to be able to be very selective in whom I partner with, and it's meaningful to me to be able to partner with great companies and people. To get more information, you guys can check out CrossCurrentInsurance.com. Speaking of the Fly Fishing Show, have you attended any of the shows so far this year? As of this day, there are three left, Denver, Colorado, Pleasanton, California, and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. There are tons of programs, presentations, classes, vendors, casting ponds, food, drink, and laughter. You simply cannot beat the value you get for such an inexpensive entry fee. These shows are literally some of the most enjoyable events of the year. We are broadcasting live and recording podcasts at the podcast booth, so please be sure to stop by and say hello. You can find out all the information at flyfishingshow.com. This year, Fly Fishing Journeys is proud to be co-sponsoring the Fly Fishing Show Consumer Choice Awards along with Angling Trade and Fly Fusion Magazine. This is a great opportunity for the public to weigh in on their favorite products. Around the Fly Fishing Show, you'll see the Consumer Choice Award QR code. That will take you where you can cast your vote. If you are outside the show's radius or not attending but still would like to participate, Visit flyfishingshow.com and look for the Vote Now button on the homepage. Finally, I want to thank our other flagship sponsor, Norvice. Keep an ear out later on the podcast from a special message from owner Tim O'Neill. Now off to Tiki. All right, well, welcome to the next edition of the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. And we have a super special guest. I'm so excited to welcome Tiki Farimsky, all the way from Crest Butte, Colorado. Tiki Welcome to the podcast. 
Thanks, thanks, Rob, for inviting me to do this. No, this is super exciting because I know you as a semi-professional fly fisherman, and I always see you catching the biggest fish on the internet, and I know that you love fly fishing, so you have some incredible tips for us uh-huh. today, so I want to dig into that that brand of yours because I want to draw out some of your best fly fishing tips for all of our listeners today, okay? Okay. All right, well, first of all, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how old you are, and about what are your favorite parts about fly fishing. So, as Rob said, I'm from Crested Butte, Colorado, nine years old, in fourth grade. Wait, what was the other thing? Yeah, so what are your favorite parts about fly fishing? Oh, probably I like seeing the fish gulp up the fly and catching all the fish. (laughs) And outfishing your dad? Yeah. Well, for those of you who don't know, Tiki Frimsky is the son of one of my good friends and the director of the fly fishing show, Ben Frimsky. And so we get to see a lot of great pictures of Tiki on the internet. And I want to talk to you about some of the incredible fish or the the mahi-mahi, the dolphin fish that you caught. We're going to get into that. I see that big smile on your face. So we're going to get into that. And we're going to get into some of your trout tips. I know you like to fish in Colorado a lot for trout. And then you fish with your grandfather, Chuck Frimsky, for stripers, right? Yeah. Why don't you tell listeners a little bit about where we are right now? We're in his convention, the International Flight Symposium. The Flight Tire Symposium, right? Yeah, on the first day of actually running. And just because Tiki's nine, I don't want you listeners to run off because I have a feeling you guys are going to pick up a ton of tips because I've seen this guy fish and he's quite amazing. So... First of all, let's talk about your fishing in Colorado. What are some of the rivers you like to fish on in Colorado? I like fishing on the Gunnison River, the Slate River. I like fishing um, the East River, tons of different rivers. What would you say would be your favorite river? Probably the East River because me and my dad live right on a hill next, next to the East River. And we have a secret fishing spot down there. You do, and, huh? And there's like this big beaver dam, and it and uh, above it is like the best hole ever. The best hole? Why is it the best hole? Because there's like humongous fish, like this big. That big? Almost like a foot. A foot long? Almost. And there's like big schools of them, and they can't like jump, and they don't like jump over the dam when you're when you're reeling them in so it's like more controlled and it's like a deep spot yeah and what type of fish are those brown trout and rainbow trout but the big ones are mostly browns what is your favorite now you fish for trout before we get into some of your saltwater fishing we you fish for trout what would be do you have a favorite species of trout yes i do palomino trout and which are like super crazy and golden and super shiny. I've never seen one, but my dad um, showed me a picture one. And So um, you've never caught a palomino? No. But it is your favorite species of trout? Yes. Well, um, that and Colorado River cutthroats are kind of tied up. So you're tied between the palomino and the Colorado River cutthroats? Yes. Okay. And tell me about the Colorado. Have you ever caught a Colorado, Colorado River cutthroat? Yeah, I catch them all the time. Can you share any of your secret spots, or is it a secret for a reason? Well, it kind of shifts around. There's some good fishing for lots of types of trout um, when it's raining. Okay. If you have the right flies and it's the right time of season. Okay. So what would be the best season to catch a a cutthroat in Colorado? 
a cutthroat, probably like spring or early summer. Okay. And do you have a specific tactic or strategy when trying to catch these cutthroats? Not really. I mean, dry flies, nymphs, streamers, whatever it takes? Yeah. My dad usually coaches me and tells me where to cast and what to use. Okay. He's a pretty good coach like that. Yeah. So if you were to tie on, like, say, a dry fly for a Colorado River cut, what would be your dry fly of choice for that fish? Possibly uh, a golden stonefly or maybe, like, something bigger. Okay. Maybe you more like a like big fly for those. They the, the the cutthroats take big flies. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, in, in that season. Do. You say sometimes like your dad. Your dad says sometimes a lot too because sometimes it works like that, and sometimes you got to use different tactics. So for it's sure. there's no hard and fast rule here. Yeah. I like that. You picked that. You picked that up. So, do you prefer dry over nymph, or tell me about that? I prefer both. Okay. I like a dry with like a little pink on the top so I can like see it better okay. or something. And then some sort of dropper underneath it. So you prefer a dry dropper pattern? Yes. Okay. Why do you like a dry dropper? Well, because then you can catch, well, first reason, you can catch two fish at, fish at a time. <laughs> I like your strategy. And, and the fish has more options. Okay. So... Even if you don't have the dry it doesn't want, or you don't have the nymph it wants, it can have the other one. So you, it's a good opportunity to give a, a, a trout a, a choice between a dry and a nymph. Yes. A dry dropper. Okay. Now, do you ever use, like, weighted, like, tungsten beads or, or strike indicators? Yeah. Um, we use, like, the eggs. The eggs, yeah. Um, just not that long ago, we were fishing in Telluride, and... Got some pretty good fish with an eggs. And w- in that but egg situation, would you use a strike indicator? Like a bobber? Yes, we okay. would. To see it. To see the take? Yes. You like that style, or you prefer just like tight line nymphing? I prefer um, tight line nymphing with like nymphs and droppers. Okay. I mean, nymphs and dries. Okay. But, but doing it like that with the egg... Um, the reason I don't like it is because if you, like, accidentally twitch it or something, the fish will get spooked away. Okay. So you have to kind of be like a dead drift. Yeah. I, I'm not that good at that. Yeah. I bet you are. I'm not really. <laughs> hey, you're practicing. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Do you have your own fishing rod? Yes, do you know I what, do. What brand is it? Do you know? or? Yeah. I think it's like a Reddington or something. Oh, those are cool. Yeah. That, that's the same brand as my waders. Okay. Which are too big for me. <laughs> well, sometimes we get them a little big so we grow into them. Yeah, I've had them for like three years already and yeah. they're still too big. You're getting there. You're getting there. Well, good. So that's Colorado for trout. Now, I know you like to fish saltwater too. I know you came back out east one time and your whole goal was to catch a mahi-mahi, right? Yes, and I succeeded at that goal. Tell me about the story. We're going to take a short commercial break to hear from Tim O'Neill of Norvice. What makes the Norvice different than another system? There are a lot of rotary fly tying vices out there. The Norvice is the only vice that will truly spin when you tie flies, and there's a big difference between rotating a vice slowly and spinning it at a bit of a faster RPM. 
and being able to spin the hook on a zero-axis rotations opens up a lot of doors for us in the world of fly tying. Tell me about the introduction of colors to the Norvi system. When we obtained the company from Norm, he said to me just a very, very short statement. He said, you know, I always thought a colored Norvice would be a cool item. We brought out five colors, Radical Red, Sunset Orange, Shamrock Green, Liberty Blue, and Royal Purple. We have five colors along with the black that you're accustomed to seeing with Norvice, and we've been doing very well with those. To find more information in their online store, visit nor-vice.com. I was super excited the one morning we were going to go mahi fishing, but we had to wake up at like four in the morning. And um, we drove over to the boat, got on, and rode out into this ocean. Okay. And we also met up with one of my dad's friends, and we drove out into the ocean. The only thing we caught that day was a teensy, tiny little sea bass like um, this big that is the smallest sea bass ever i mean i think i, ca- I caught a flounder but that was l- o- all we caught that day okay the only things we caught and you were trying to catch a mahi yeah okay so then we were so sad that, and we wanted to redeem ourselves okay so um not that long later about like three days later on one of our last days there we got in the boat again but this time later in the day and drove out even farther and fished buoys and like those weird flag things yep. all day. And then we saw this humongous school of mahi-mahi. And we got a little one first. Okay. My dad got it. And then he was holding his rod. Yeah. And I was looking at him. And then a huge mahi-mahi, like as, as long as me, came up and grabbed my fly and I started reeling it in and it pulled and it took so long and it didn't even feel like and it didn't even look like the fish was working hard and it pulled me around the boat like seven times and I had to (laughs) dodge rods with my rod wow and eventually I got tired and asked my dad to reel it in for a little but only for a second and then I got back to reeling him in you're like give me my rod back I want this is my fish yeah and then eventually um we got it in. Okay. And ate for dinner. Fantastic. That was quick. You got it in and then ate it. Went right went right to the dinner table. Did you did you eat some of it? Yeah. How was well, it? We didn't go straight to the dinner table. Okay. We caught like five more mahi, all little ones. Of course. We only kept one other one because we hooked it in the eye and we didn't think it would survive. Mm. Because it was like super bloody and creepy and all. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember how big this giant mahi was? I don't remember in weight, but it was like from the tip of my head to my ankles or my knees. Wow. That sounds like it had to be like a lot of pounds. Yeah. It was super heavy. So you accomplished your goal of catching your mahi. Yes. Good job. Bigger than my biggest mahi for sure. Well, good. And so what other type of uh, species of fish do you like? We know you like palomino trout. You like cutthroats. You like mahi-mahi. What else do you like to fish for? I love fishing. I like um, doing dropping for like sea robins, flounder, okay. totog. Yeah. Even though they always steal the bait. Yep, that's fun. Yeah. And I also like um, crabbing and stuff. Yeah, just to go out crabbing. Even though I'm not that good at it. How do you crab? Tell our listeners uh, how you go out crabbing. Like, what do you, what's the technique? This is the way I've, this is the only way I've ever done it. Um, well, we got like this crab basket 
and put like um, little bits of um, dead fish and hook them onto it and put it down to the bottom next to where we parked our boat. And a crab is supposed to walk into it and get stuck. And then you pull it up. But that, but, but that one you like have to wait and like you're not actually there to catch the crab so it could get out. Mm-hmm. But then the kind that I like better actually on a boat is called, I forget what it was called. I forget what the style was called. But it's like you have like a fish head or something okay. on, a, on a hook with a big weight and it's on a long string and you let the string down until it touch, until it until the weight barely touches the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then you wait for a crab to climb up the line and get stuck on the fish. Okay. And then when you feel like it a little, little heavier, you slowly pull it up until it's close to the surface, and then you grab it out, and you get the crab. Uh, any of these crab edible? Yes. Do you boil them? Yes, they are really delicious, even though, you, even though like a crab is only like barely an appetizer. You sound like you're an adventurous eater. I am. I've ate a bug, purposely. <laughs> you ate a bug? Tell me about bug eating. What bug did you eat? Um, I ate a salmon fly, a live salmon fly. Why? Because my dad told me to. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he said that when a person first goes down into the um, Black Canyon, Okay. They have to eat a have salmon a, fly. I have a feeling I know what this is going. This is like some type of initiation to get down the canyon. You have to eat a salmon fly first or something? Well, it was just like to certify that you've done it. And <laughs> you, it's like... You're, you're qualified to, t- to do it on river? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, trout eat them, so you should eat them. So you know what your fly should look like and taste like. Wow, this is getting super earthy crunchy here. And it tasted like leaves. It did, huh? It tasted like old dry leaves. Was it gross? But, yeah. Did you feel it going down your throat? Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. I, I bit its head off first. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, you got quite a crowd here for you, Tiki. Everyone's coming out to hear you talk on the podcast. This is pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, good. So we know you like to fish for palominos and cutthroats and mahi, and you like to eat bugs on the <laughs> Colorado River. Now, did you go downriver on the Black Canyon? Um, you mean like floating? Yeah. No. No, you just fished from the shore? Yeah, a uh, backpacking trip. Very cool. Th- did you fish? Yes, all the time. What did you catch? We caught quite a few brown trouts, a few rainbows, not that many. Do you remember the style? Were you doing dry fly? Or? Yeah, um, we were doing mostly dry fly dropper. Okay. And one of my and my favorite part of it was where we walked way up the um, way up the canyon. Okay. And um, there was these like big rocks every like ten feet, and you hide behind one rock and then cast out in front of the rock in front of you, mm-hmm. and like dangles right in front, and then a fish comes and eats it. It was so fun. Now, we were talking last night, you have some big trips planned in your mind. Dude, tell yes. me first the number one fish on your bucket list that you haven't caught yet, and then we'll talk about some destinations. Number one on my bucket list of fish. That you have not caught yet. Yes. Um, I don't know. Maybe sturgeon? A sturgeon? Yeah. I mean, don't try to come up with the most difficult fish to ever catch on a fly or anything like that. Or a grouper. A grouper. That'd be pretty neat. 
a giant one, like a NASA mm. grouper, or just like no. kind of more like a reef grouper? Yeah, I like um, tomato grouper, a specifically. Tomato grouper? Yeah, they're like really red and have tiny green spots. Where are they? They're like all over the Atlantic and Pacific. They like live in lots of places. The tomato grouper, I'll have, to, I'll have to Google that. Yeah. And then a sturgeon. And then a sturgeon. On a fly. Not necessarily on a fly. Any any tactic at this point. You want to yeah. catch a sturgeon. Yeah. Why do you want to catch a sturgeon so bad? Because they look so cool and they're like so big and heavy and they've been around for like forever. Prehistoric, huh? Yes. It's like a dinosaur in the water. <laughs> yeah. I've never caught a sturgeon. I've never even seen a sturgeon. Really? I mean, other than in pictures. So I want to tell you about this one time. So me and my dad... Um, it was actually the same time we were we I caught that big um, mahi that same trip in okay. New Jersey and after that my dad you know he was going to Greenland. Yeah, I remember and that his trip. Passport expired. <laughs> I remember that part too. <laughs> so we had to drive all the way there, um, all the way to Pennsylvania, and wait for like three hours in the passport office. And on the way there, right when we are crossing the bridge from Ocean City, New Jersey, to um. Summer's Point, we saw these huge splashes all over the bay. And um, the next day, we heard this guy talking. We, we saw him at the docks because we were going to go tog fishing. And we were asking him about those big splashes because he said he had just been fishing there. And he said that they could have been either like lemon sharks or big seawater sturgeons because they were like huge splashes. So it's a mystery. Yes. Could have been a shark? Yes, Could like a, a lemon sturgeon. shark. Yes. That's pretty Possibly. cool. Possibly. Possibly. Well, that's really neat. I'm, I wish you the best. Can you keep us updated with your progress on these uh, groupers and yes. sturgeons? Yeah, I, I'd like we'll to know more updated. about that. I need to know about the sturgeon because I've always wanted to catch a sturgeon, but oh, it seems tricky. It probably is. I bet you could figure it out, though. Yeah. Well, that's super cool. So we also talked about some destinations. Yes. You, had two, you gave me two destinations that you want to go fishing. Only two. I have like a thousand. Thousand? <laughs> Where do you want to go? Give us a couple. So first off, I want to go to Brazil to fish the Amazon and catch arapaima and stuff. And then I want to go to Africa to catch this weird nimbi thing that my dad got when he was there. It's super cool. It has like this, it's like all rainbowy and has this big bump on its head. Okay. That's, I got to check that out. I've never even heard of a nimbi until you told me about it last night. Yeah. And then Australia. Yeah. Tell me about Australia because like if people go down under, majority of fly fishermen would say, I want to go to New Zealand. So tell me why you keep picking Australia over New Zealand. Well, I would probably go to both yeah, in the of same course. trip. <laughs> you have to do that, right? But but um, why do you say Australia? Oh, I just want to go to like the outback and catch like oasis fish. Oasis fish? I've never heard of these things. Oh, I I've um there's like these some crazy oasises that there's really interesting fish like the Devil's Hole. You have ever heard of that? I know, but it sounds a little it, scary. It's like near Jackson Hole. Oh, okay. And it's like this humongous oasis that stretches like hundreds of feet down. And there's only one fish that live there. And that's the only place, besides aquariums and stuff, that that fish lives in the entire world. In the Devil's Hole? Yes. We're talking about in America or in Australia? America. Okay, in America. Okay. 
And they, what was the name of that fish? You know, the name of that fish is a blue dogfish. A blue dogfish. No, a blue pupfish. A a blue pupfish. Yes. Okay. They're like this big, about like six inches. Is it Wyoming or is it where is it? Jackson Hole is in Wyoming, so is it? Yeah, near I there? think it's either in like Wyoming or something, or okay. in Texas. Somewhere close to that. Yeah. The pupfish, the blue pupfish. Yes. And you want to catch this fish too? Yes. Okay. Is it catchable? Yes, people have done it before. It's kind of like a milkfish. It eats algae, but only a specific kind that only grows there. So you'd need a special, like, algae fly like they created for the milkfish? Yeah. You know about the milkfish? Uh-huh. Tell people about the milkfish, because um, I want to catch one of those super bad. Same. Oh, Nevada is where Devil's Hole is. Oh, Devil's Hole pupfish is in Nevada, huh? Yeah. That's super uh, cool. I'll have to check that out on the internet. Yeah. Wait, what were you talking about? We were talking about the milkfish. You were going to tell people about the milkfish. Yes. Because I'm super interested in this fish. The milkfish. When I first heard about them was same thing as the Nimbly. Um, Exploring through the um, Fishing World records last year, and I was looking through it, I saw the milkfish in the seawater section. And I was like, what are these? And my dad were like, milkfish. And I was like, why do they have so big eyes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, cause, and he was like, because they eat algae, and they see it, and they want to see it in the water. Okay. Their eyes adapted to their food species, or their food source. Yes, and I was super interested in those. So in science that year, we were brainstorming ideas that could help us. And my idea was a special milkfish catching technique. It was... So you buy this machine that, like, goes down and collects algae and then attaches it to a hook and um, then and it has, like, floating line and it, like, the scanner or, like, a, like, an alien thing that holds the hook in the water without any line. So the milkfish sees it and, you, and they can't see the hook because it's hidden inside the algae and swims over and eats it. That's, and then it's on because these milkfish are crazy powerful. Yes. Have you seen them on TV? Uh-huh. They have a ton of, uh, of power. Yeah. And they jump in the air. Uh-huh. Like tarpon. So do you know where you can catch a milkfish? No, not I, really. I can help you with that because these milkfish are found in the Seychelles, oh, which I've is this little, this little uh, archipelago of islands. Yeah. In the, uh, I think it's like the Indian Ocean, maybe, kind of oh. like south of India, in oh. that whole kind of area. And it's amazing because you can catch all kinds of Indo permit. Ooh. And you can catch like giant bonefish and milkfish. Awesome. And the king, or they call them the gangsters of the flats, the giant trevally. Have you ever heard of these guys? The GTs? Yes. So this whole trip oh could be awesome, Tiki, because you could yeah. go for GTs, you could go for bonefish, you could go for your milkfish. GTs eat the birds. Yeah, they're crazy. They're fun. One time I watched a documentary about those guys. Yeah, so this milkfish is, sounds super fun. And then uh, now you said you wanted to go to Australia. What was the, what was the fish you wanted to catch in Australia? Mostly... Um, a specific kind of permit. It's like yellow. I forget what it what what it was called. Okay, so more coastal fishing. Yeah, in that trip, um, I would also go to 
New Zealand after like the fishing part because I've always wanted to see where they filmed The Hobbit and stay in uh, a Hobbit hotel that's like a Hobbit hole. That'd be I've cool. I've always wanted to do that. Do they have these? And I know that's where they yeah. filmed it, New Zealand, but can you actually stay at a Hobbit hotel? Yeah, it's like um, these little underground houses that are designed just like Hobbit holes. And you can And they're like on there. a hill and stuff. Yeah, and um, I was looking through a magazine one time, and I saw um, this article about crazy places you can stay. There was, like, one where you can live in an aquarium, the Hobbit Hole, like an upside-down opera house. What? Where you stand on the ceiling. That sounds super weird. That sounds like Alice in Wonderland stuff. Yeah, and then there was also this other hotel that was, like, it looked like it was made out of putty because it was, like, all stretched out and bent in weird ways. Wow. Well, that's super cool. Now, you're nine years old. I mean, obviously, your dad is your fishing buddy, but do you have yeah. any other fishing buddies that you can tell us about? Yeah, um, my friend Jonah. We, we've known each other for a while. We go fishing together. One of my, um, one of my three backpacking trips was with him, and we had to hike, like, 17 miles in a day in 90 degree weather with 30 pound bags on her back mm. did jonah go what did jonah go with you yeah did he did he like to fish yes we are fishing buddies that's cool um, and um that same year for his birthday he got a tankara rod because that was what we took to fish with mm-hmm. on the backpacking trip and right now in our hotel room we have a Tenkara book that we're going to give to him. He likes Tenkara. Yeah. Have you we done it like too? We both like Tenkaras. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, sounds good. It's been a blast having you on the podcast, Tiki. Um, mm-hmm. Now, one story I have to tell our listeners, because you came, you weren't in Greenland with us this year, but Mm-mm. you had a very, we had a very special fly that was tied specifically from this incredible material that is bar none, second to none, the best fly tying material in the entire universe. <laughs> Are you familiar with this material? Yes, I am. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners a little bit about this special material and this one special fly that went to Greenland? Well, technically I was in Greenland. Oh, right, exactly. Because <laughs> that special material was my hair. <laughs> Because I look over at your dad, and we're in Greenland, and he's just crushing me, catching all these fish. And he's, like, casting his fly, and it's, like, one strip. It's fish after fish after fish. Uh, And I just, uh, I'm, like, catching some fish, but I'm not keeping up here. And I was, like, I look over. I said, Ben, how are you catching all these fish? Like, you just, your fly has to land on the water, and it catches fish. I've never seen anything like it. I said, what fly do you have on? He says, ah. It's a very special fly. It's called the tiki fly. I said, the tiki fly? Why is it called the tiki fly? I said, it's because the only material in it is tiki's hair. <laughs> well, not the only material. There's like a, head. a few strips of like shiny stuff. Yeah. And um, the eyes. Yeah, it's like a fish head. Yeah. And tiki's hair. Yeah. And it crushed. Yeah, it was like super reflective and see-through in the water. So finally, he's like, come over here. you got to try this. And so just as I started casting his rod with the tiki fly on, he says, now, 
it's this fi- this fly is undefeated. It's never landed in the water and not catch a fish. So if you don't catch a fish, we're truly going to measure the the art of a man here. If we, if you don't catch a fish, we know what the problem is, and it's not the fly. So I cast it and I strip and I stripped, and it was like two or three strips, and I haven't caught a fish yet. And I was like, wait a minute. Every time Ben cast it, it was like one strip he had a fish on. So finally, by the fourth or fifth strip, guess what? Caught a fish. Fish on. So the tiki fly was, I think, retired at that point. It is officially undefeated. It's never been cast without catching a fish. Yeah. But it also got really torn up. So next time I get a haircut, we'll make a new one. <laughs> well, I said to him, I said, I feel bad for Tiki because when he, when I, next time I see Tiki, I think he's going to be bald because <laughs> Ben's going to tie all these flies with all his hair. <sighs> so that's a good, that's a good material, man. So before you leave this podcast, I'm going to get my scissors out, my tying scissors, oh, and I no. might have to get some material here. Well, good. What would you like our listeners to know about fly fishing and tiki before we before we send you off for all your other assignments here at the symposium? Okay, so one of the main things that I have focused my entire casting stuff on is a giant. A giant. Okay, explain. So, my dad came up with this crazy tip when I started fly when I started fly fishing. And he said, make sure to um, cast the fly up at the giant, the, the giant cyclops' eye, not his toes. Okay. So I followed that rule for, like, forever. And then um, he also told me this one, that when you're casting back and when it's back, say okay and then cast it forward. Not just, like... Okay. Uh, I see what you're saying. See, I said okay. Yeah. So when you cast behind you, you have to say okay before you come forward? Yeah. And do you still practice that? Yes. What do you think that does for you? What is the strategy behind that? What's the... Well, it doesn't like whip it and get you all tangled. Because trust me, I get tangled all the time. <laughs> and hey, it's so trust annoying. Me, trust me, trust it, me. I, we all do. Don't worry about that. Because it, it's so annoying because... Like every class, I get tangled, and then we have to untangle it, and it takes up like the entire time we fish. Okay, so the idea is when you back cast, you say okay to slow yourself down. Yeah, and then you cast forward and let it drift. Yeah, you gotta let it drift. It's another technique that your dad likes to teach me about. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been an absolute blast, Tiki. Thank you for being on the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. I think our listeners learned a ton about technique, new species, new locations. I mean, nobody in the history of the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast has talked about the pup fish in the devil's hole in Nevada. So you are the first. Yeah. So thanks for being on the podcast, man. It's been a blast having you, and I hope to have you on the podcast again someday. Of course. Now I'm. Now I got to go get some lunch. I'm hungry. <laughs> And we'll end with that. (laughs) You've been listening to Fly Fishing Journeys with your host, Rob Giannino. To be notified of new episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. For past episodes, check out flyfishingjourneys.com. Fly fishing is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us.